there's an important question that's asked from time to time, either when a certain specific type of tragedy strikes or uh, when people just want to dabble in theological arguments. And the question is this. What is the eternal fate of infants when they die? The eternal fate of infants when they die. What happens to them? And let me just say from the outset, if you have ever had a young child die or your baby was stillborn or you had a miscarriage or had an abortion, I want you to know that I'm sorry that happened to you. Um, because I'm a man, I cannot fully comprehend, cannot fully understand the depth of pain and heartache that uh, you ladies who have gone through something like that may have experienced. But, but I do understand that your loss is real. And I want you to know, that again, that our church stands with you. You're not alone. Uh, the path that you're walking, um, it, has been, it has been trod by some other ladies in our fellowship who are wise and gentle and good listeners. And if you need someone to talk to, uh, please let us know and we can find someone that you can talk to, even if you might not know them. And I also don't want to be dismissive of the pain that men who've lost a, a child uh, may feel because there's a different type of burden there. There's a feeling of a sense of helplessness when it comes to consoling their wives. I mean, what do you say? Um, what do you do? We men, we like to fix things, don't we? like to fix things, but how do you fix your wife's broken heart? That's not something they teach you, and uh, it's not something that's easy. So please understand that when I, when I talk about today the eternal fate of infants when they die, it's not just a theological question, it's real life, okay? And uh, now in this message, something else I want you to know, that when I refer I'm going to refer to infants. And when I refer to infants, I'm referring even to those that are infantile in their ability to think. Okay? I'm, I'm including those that are severely mentally handicapped, uh, those who are young children, those who have not yet been born, all of that. Sometimes in Baptist circles, we talk about the age of accountability. And I, I really don't particularly care for that term. Uh, it sort of makes you feel like there's a magic number out there. There's not a magic number out there. Um, but if it helps you, if you're familiar with that term, it helps you. But the group of people, uh, these infants that I'm referring to, it's about, I'm talking about the eternal fate of those who have not yet reached that age or that capability of being held accountable. The, the biblical term for that is the innocence, I-N-N-O-C-E-N-T-S, the innocence. Scripture talks a uh, num number of times about the, the innocence. Um, the problem with that word in English is that it sounds like the word innocence, I-N-N-O-N, uh, or I-N-N-O-C-E-N-C-E, -E, instead of, you know, it ends with a C-E instead of a T-S. And so for that, for that reason, I'm going to avoid that term, and I'm just going to call this group of people infants. Okay, so now we sort of have a foundation to, to move forward. Here's the question again. What is the eternal fate of infants uh, that die? 
And I'm going to rephrase the question already. Will I see my baby again? The short, direct answer to that question is yes. You will see your baby again. Infants that die, pre-birth or post-birth, are with the Lord in heaven. That's the short, direct answer. Now, if you want to know why, it's going to take a few minutes to explain. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It's in the providence of God that we happen to be on this verse, on this particular day being Mother's Day. Um, I did not plan it that way many months ago when we started going through the book of Romans. I'm not that smart. Um, but we happen to be in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And we're in this series called Romans, Mercy to All. And when you, when you found this verse, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, in the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Just one little verse that we're going to cover today. Scripture says, and I'll read it out loud, Therefore, just as through one man... Sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Heavenly Father, I pray that you give us insight into your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And I'm just going to ask that that verse remain on the screen behind me uh, for the remainder of this message, because... Uh, we will all just be covering this one verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Again, it says, Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now, um, my original plan was to preach from Romans chapter 5, verse 12, all the way through verse 21, um, because it's really one big thought there, but the more I started digging into Romans chapter 5, verse 12, I realized that I have to unpack. I have to help you unlearn a lot of theological systems that you may have been taught over the years. Um, and so uh, the more I started digging into this, the more I realized that we're not going to be able to move very far. We're just going to cover this one verse today. Now, according to the traditional view of this verse, the traditional view goes like this. All humans, from conception to birth to death, all humans are in a state of guilt before God. Even preborn infants in their mother's womb, according to the traditional view, are guilty before God and under God's wrath. The guilt of these infants, according to this view, is not by virtue of any sin that they personally committed, but it's by virtue of inheriting the guilt of Adam. And since salvation can be obtained only by believing in the good news of Jesus, and since infants are incapable of understanding the gospel, then that, according to this view, leaves us with only a few options. Option number one, infants that die do not go to heaven because, according to this view, they're guilty before God. Or option number two, God makes some kind of exception, even though there's no scripture that allows for exceptions. We just sort of base it on the nature of God, being good and benevolent and kind. Now, I hope you heard me say a number of times, according to this view, according to the traditional view of this verse, and if you were to conclude that I think that there's a better 
and more biblical way to understand this verse, and one that happens to address our question, you'd be right. Here's where we're going. Verse 12 says that we have inherited death from Adam. It does not say anything about inheriting Adam's guilt. It's not there. Paul could have said it if he wanted to. He did not say that. Look again at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, that's Adam, first man, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Not guilt, but death. Because all sin. And we'll get to that last phrase in just a few minutes. Infants are not under the wrath of God for two reasons. Number one, they have not inherited guilt from Adam. And number two, they have not personally sinned. Sin is a moral violation of God's standards. Infants have not sinned because they don't have the ability to sin. Question, have infants inherited death from Adam? Obviously. Obviously. We all have. Okay? Now, if you stop right there and you accept this interpretation, my interpretation, uh, without going any further, uh, without thinking through anything else, you might come to this conclusion. Something that sounds like this. Okay, since infants are not under God's wrath, then they will receive eternal life. And I would say, you're on the right path, but, but let's talk about why, and I want to be very specific. Why? So here's what we're talking about. Infants are morally innocent. But moral innocence is not sufficient for eternal life. If it was, then no infant would ever die. If morally innocent infants are going to inherit eternal life, they need something else. They need to be raised from the dead. Will morally innocent infants be raised from the dead? Yes. Why? Why will morally innocent infants be raised from the dead because of Jesus. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says something very similar. It says, For in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And the word all means all. Everyone, believer and unbeliever alike, will be raised from the dead. Everyone will. When will this happen? Revelation 20 tells us about two, re two resurrections. Resur uh, Revelation 20 tells us that there will be a first resurrection. And if you just read it in its plain English or plain Greek, even if you know Greek, it says that that is a resurrection of martyred believers. The second resurrection happens later, at the end of the millennial kingdom. And it is at this second resurrection that judgment is passed on humanity. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. John writes, And I saw the dead, 
the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books, plural, were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. These books, these will be the books that record humanity's sins. It's a record of each person's guilt before God. And there's only one way for any of us to avoid the lake of fire, to avoid the second death. Your name had better be written in the other book, the book of life. But if you've sinned and you've never received Christ and your name is not written in the book of life, then a record of your wrongdoings will be in what I'll call the the bad books. However, morally innocent infants have never sinned. They have no guilt. Not their own and not Adam's. Unless you're going to read something into Romans 5.12 that's not there. They have no guilt. There's nothing in the bad books about them. So they can only be in the other book, the book of life. Here's a summary of my view of what happens to morally innocent infants who die. And this view is going to be in chronological order. Number one, infants have the capacity of suffering physical death. Why? Because death entered the world due to Adam's sin. And it even affects uh, infants. And because infants are human, they're, they're going to be raised from the dead due to Jesus being raised from the dead. But after having been raised from the dead at the second resurrection, infants will not suffer the second death because that is based on what is written in the books. That is based on their deeds. And they have no morally deficient deeds to have written down. To put it another way, all throughout Scripture, we have portraits here and there of people that are condemned to eternal punishment. And morally innocent infants simply don't fit the description. Now, I want to move forward with the last little phrase in verse 12. And I'll say this, and the reason that I'm camping on this verse so much is not simply to answer the one question about what happens to morally innocent infants. They're with the Lord now. They will be resurrected at the second resurrection. And they will be kept free from being cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. That is my view. But there's another reason I'm sort of camping out here. And it's because starting here in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and going all the way through chapter 6 and through chapter 11, there may be some ideas, some interpretations where you and I disagree, especially if you're someone that has been, you've found yourself or you've become of your own volition bound to some type of theological system. So if you're a dispensationalist 
or you're a Reformed, or you're a Calvinist, or you're an Arminian, uh, you're going to read the Bible through dispensationalist, or Reformed, or Calvinistic, or Arminian lenses. Personally, I choose not to adhere to systems of theology and to allow those systems to color the way I interpret Scripture. I choose to let Scripture speak for itself. And if that means that some of the ideas that Scripture leads me to don't fit into your system, well, so be it. I can live with that. Um, so if you find yourself, as we travel through all the way through chapter 11, disagreeing with some of my interpretations, I will uh, certainly support your right to be wrong. Okay? Let's look again at the end of verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, that's Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, it says, because all sinned. Because all sinned. Well, doesn't that say that even infants have somehow sinned in Adam? Here's what the, how the traditional view handles the last phrase of verse 12. Basically, it says, Adam sinned. When Adam sinned, we sinned with him. So everyone, including infants, inherit Adam's guilt. And death spread to everyone. Why? Because everyone sinned with Adam. Pretty straightforward. Pretty simple. It makes sense. But there's another possibility. There's another way to interpret this verse. And without going into horrible detail, that last phrase of verse 12, there's a word because. That word because is the Greek word epi. And in Greek, sometimes it means because, and sometimes it means so that. What's the difference? Here's the difference. Because indicates a reason. I'll give you an example. I slapped my brother because he was looking at me. You ever have one of those fights? I slapped my brother. Why'd you slap your brother? Because he was looking at me. And of course, that makes sense. You know, if he's looking at you, he obviously deserved to be slapped. So, um, But the reason that you slapped your brother was because he was looking at you. But the Greek word epi can also mean so that. So that doesn't indicate a reason, it indicates a result. Like this. I slapped my brother so that he would look at me. And of course, that makes perfect sense too. There's no better way to get your brother's attention than to slap him. He just needs a good slapping sometimes, right? All right. The translation of this little word epi is important. It's the difference between saying that death spread to everyone because everyone sinned when Adam sinned and the death. And on the other hand, if it means so that, it could mean that death spread to everyone so that everyone, if they were to live long enough, becomes a sinner. Here's what I think is behind Paul's thinking. In the Garden of Eden, what kept Adam and Eve sinless was that they were in the very presence and the influence of God. Now, if you read it carefully, when Eve sinned, there's no mention of God around. And so, shortly thereafter, Adam sinned. And Adam's sin, what did it do? It brought death to everybody. 
Adam's sin did something else. It did a second thing. Adam's sin brought death to everyone. But if you remember when God was handing out the punishments, what did God do with Adam and Eve? He said, you got to leave my garden. You can't be in my presence anymore. Adam's sin also placed humanity outside of the garden, outside of those incredible conditions that at one time kept Adam and Eve sinless. And once humans, once humanity, Adam and Eve and their children eventually, were removed from the garden, we really had no hope of not sinning because we were left on our own as non-divine mortals. If we are allowed to live a normal lifespan, then we will inevitably sin and incur guilt before God. It's inevitable. Why? Because we're not in the garden with God. We're outside of it. And sin will eventually get us, if you will. I believe verse 12 should be read this way. Therefore, just as through one man entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, so that all have sinned. In the end, you've got two ways of thinking with regard to verse 12. You can choose the traditional view, again, which, to which I do not adhere. And it goes like this. When Adam sinned, his guilt was transferred to all humans who would ever be born, and they are under condemnation because they bear Adam's guilt. That's the traditional view. And there's two reasons, again, that I do not agree with this traditional view. Reason number one I haven't even mentioned yet. You've got to make some type of exemption for Jesus. I mean, how did Jesus escape bearing Adam's guilt? Isn't he fully human? Well, of course he is. And if you say, well, of course Jesus was born of a virgin, that's how he escaped. That's not an answer. That's, that's really not an answer. He was born of a virgin, but that's not, that doesn't address this at all. Jesus is still human. And he's still in the line of Adam. I mean, Scripture explicitly says that he's in the line of Adam through his mother Mary. You know, I've heard people even say, well, you know, the sin nature, it's only passed on through the male seed. Well, I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. I mean, think about it. I mean, we're getting really close, really close to cloning humans. And you might not like that. I might not like that. We may all end up with a bunch of Frankensteins running all over the place. I don't know. But... We're getting real close. It's, it's going to happen, probably in your lifetime, where we clone a human. And so if you're telling me that if the sin nature is only passed through the male seed, and in a few months or a few years, a human is cloned from a female, are you going to tell me that that cloned human won't have a sin nature? I mean, that's just bad theology. It's also bad biology, if you think about it. Um, Jesus is fully human. And guess what? He inherited from Adam what Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says that we all inherit from Adam. Death, the capacity to die. And in fact, he did. Rather famously, Jesus did die. The second reason that I disagree with the traditional view, again, is simply what I pointed out numerous times here. Verse 12 does not say that Adam's guilt was transferred to us. It says that death was. 
And so I really think we ought to let the Bible speak for itself and we add things to it that are not there. We end up with all types of fanciful theological systems that in the end ultimately don't agree with the very Bible that we're trying to interpret, that we, that we claim to believe. Here's my view. When Adam sinned, humans, all humans, lost immortality. And they became destined to sin if they lived long enough because they were cast out of the very presence of God. And so all humans are under this type of condemnation, if you want to call it a condemnation, where they would eventually bear their own guilt and become guilty before God and incur the wrath of God. But the guilt is their own from the very first time that they sin. Now there's a verse that we will not get to until a couple of weeks, but I want to read it to you. And it's in verse 17. It says, For if by the transgression of the one, that's Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus and his resurrection is the reason that all humans, believer and unbeliever alike, will ultimately be raised from the dead. And yet the difference is that at that second resurrection, when the books are opened and the deeds are revealed, and mankind is judged according to their deeds, that those men and women uh, who are not written in the book of life, they will perish for all eternity. And Scripture says at that second resurrection, they will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. The second death occurs after all are resurrected. It is that second death that I want you to avoid. Now, if you're not a believer in, in God's Word, you might say, man, that's a lot of fanciful talk. That's a lot of speculation about the future. And I sure would agree with you that from a purely, purely human perspective, it is. And there's no scientific proof that I can give you that any of what I've said is, is true. But I would encourage you to examine your heart and ask yourself, is God really speaking to me? Is there really a God who really will judge the dead, who really loves me enough to send his son to die on the cross for my sins, who was raised from the grave? And is this God right now seeking my belief in Jesus? Is he seeking my salvation? 